and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Geordie Bailey. And I'm the guy who is surprisingly reluctant to read this book, Duncan Nicholl. Oh no, Duncan. I hope it hasn't extended through the course of this book. Please tell me what's going on. I just... We read the uh, first one in this series, the Green Rider series, which we'll be discussing today at Book Club, early in the year. And for some reason, I struggled. I struggled to get the energy up. I didn't start this book until a week into our allotted fortnightly book club. Mm. And it was just very hard for me. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But there was something about me that just was like... I don't know. It was just reluctant. It was tired. It was fatigue. Oh, dear. I just don't know. Wow. You know what? I do understand that, Dunk. Because whilst I did enjoy this book, yeah... It wasn't as rollicking a ride as the first one. You know, it wasn't um, out of a frying pan into the fire adventure. It's a bit slower. Yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from. But before we get into our critical analysis, let's have a little catch up. Duncan? Critical analysis is such a nice way to put um, (laughs) what we do here. For those who first time coming, this is our book club. Every fortnight we read a new book together and we discuss it here. If you're interested and want to let us know your opinions, you can by reaching out to us at our Gmail, which is if this just fancy podcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. or on Instagram at if this just fancy podcast. Instagram. <laughs> I'm sure if you type in, you'll find it. Literally just last week, I was like, you know, we really should just make ourselves an official Twitter. Like, it's the biggest social media platform online. Um, and then something happened in early November, and I said, you know what? Never mind. We're good. I, I feel likewise. Um, but what else have we been doing this week? Jordi, I had a, quite the experience last weekend. Can I tell you all about it? Right, people. I went to the town of... City, maybe. City of Winchester, which is in the south of England. And they have a new exhibition that's recently opened there called Winchester uh, 878 AD. And it's all about taking you back in time, 878, Winchester, the capital city of the Kingdom of Wessex, which is one of the foremost uh, Anglo-Saxon kingdoms in England. And the the King of Wessex, Alfred the Great, is often credited for really getting the whole England thing kind of rolling. Um, I think it was either his son or grandson, Ethelstan, who actually did the whole conquer the realm. But anyway, uh, 878, it's all about taking you back to the time. The Vikings have invaded, a great battle is about to take place. And it's this whole kind of like museum actors, uh, um, augmented reality experience to like bring you into the times. And conceptually, I was like quite excited for this. Um, but then I got there and I didn't realise that this was co-funded uh, by Ubisoft using their Assassin's Creed Valhalla game engine and their model of the town to like run most of the event and i don't know it's not that i have anything against ubisoft but like i was there to like learn actual history and i want to know how people live that's always my favorite thing it's not about historical events so much with me it's always what was it like to be a fairly normal person in these times you know what did you do what did you have for breakfast when did you have breakfast you know were you hungry were you cold what was it like what were the odds of things going terribly wrong and Clearly a lot of effort and a lot of money had gone into this. But Jordi, I don't know how to explain it. Do you know when something's just like... 
a little tacky. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like, is it's, it's sort of like, it's not even like being a Ren Fair. It's like the slightly too corporate Ren Fair. Like, I've never, I haven't spent enough time in America to go to medieval times, but that's kind of what I feel like medieval times probably is, you know? There were, uh, I was about to call them amateur dramatics. They, I'm sure they were getting paid, so they were professional dramatics. And I really, sure. honestly, their enthusiasm was great. Mm-hmm. But I was there like, oh, is this target towards like four to six year olds? Have I misjudged this? Mm. Um, there was one really good bit though. They had like an old sure. um, like Saxon chess game available that you could play. Uh, which legitimately was cool. fun, and I played a lot of. Nice. Um, and I got beat consistently. Uh, and it's like chess, except the king is like in the centre of the board, and you have uh-huh. squares. The four corners are the castles, and you have to get your king safely to a castle. But the enemy are on the outside of the board, and so it's, see. it's like you. It's like chess, but you've got to try and actually move your king to a safe position. Mm. So you're saying it's a historical, slightly fantastical version of chess. Now, what book does that remind me of? (laughs) Two questions, Duncan. In your Anglo-Saxon experience, did you get served a big chunk of meat on a bone? No. Did you get served mead? I did not. That was actually very disappointing. Waste of a trip. I know. (laughs) He says, say no more. Duncan, you said that you struggled a little bit with this book. Can kind of understand why. Were you reading anything else to pass the time? I actually wasn't. I had a, I want to say a break. It just sort of things just, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm actually standing here thinking to myself, what did I do in my evenings? Were I, was I out socialising? <laughs> that doesn't seem right for me. Impossible. Was it a comic? I don't think so. I don't remember reading a comic. Um, I think I actually just wasted away the hours watching television and then seeing people it, it was quite awful uh did you do something more Whoa. productive with your time though did you read anything else well i also watched a lot of tv and i didn't read anything uh ever since our last episode when we recorded our episode on berserk i haven't read i've read one chapter of considering flavors um but that time has not been wasted because for one thing uh, all the tv shows i've been watching are fantasy are they either of the bit too big fantasy TV shows on TV right now? Fuck no. What what a ridiculous question. What I have been doing is, in the month of November, I've been participating in NaNoWriMo. Now, I understood all the words up to the month of November, and I kind of get the word participating. Mm-hmm. After that, you lost me a little bit. November is the 11th month of the year, Duncan. It's the one that comes before December. Did that clear things up? Yeah, completely. And then you were looking at little rhinos, yeah? (laughs) Uh, So NaNoWriMo, Duncan, is a challenge. It involves trying to write 50,000 words in the month of November. I see. So while other people are growing moustaches, you are kicking out a Mm. short novel? Yeah. Fair. I can't grow a moustache, so it's one or the other. All right, well, how did it go? It's going very well. We're it's currently to pull back the curtain. We're recording this on the fourteenth of uh, of no, of November, so exactly halfway, and I'm thirty seven thousand words in. It is uh, substantially better than I've ever done at Nanoroma. I've never succeeded at Nanoroma before. 
I've tried basically every year since 2018. I always fail. Um, and this year is the year I'm going to do it. I'll be done before the 20th, I think. I'm so impressed. Can I just say, from my own perspective, trying to like do a little, even the tiniest amount of creative writing, um, my record is about 800 words. And then I go, this is the pace writing happens at. Oh, I have so many ideas, mm-hmm. but this is just too slow a process. Um, and then I move on with life. So, 37,000. Yeah. I can't I can't even fathom that. Like my entire bachelor's, you know, degree only probably brought me up to about well maybe no, maybe 120,000, but that was over 3 years. Yeah, and normally I'm a really slow writer. Like my first novel I ever finished took me 5 years to write. Jeez. And the one after that was substantially faster. It was 18 months to write, I don't know, probably around 130,000 words. So NaNoWriMo is always this absolutely insane obstacle to me because it requires not just writing a ton, it requires like writing with a lot of consistency. And it has this really neat like guidance system where it's like the first day you have to write 1,666 words. But if you write in excess of that, uh, it knows that you've written in excess. So if you write 3,000 words, you write a ton, um, the next day it'll be like, you only have to write 1,500 words. And if you have now only have to write 1,500 words, every day to finish by the 30th so if you keep surpassing the goal like it'll drop down today it was like you have to write 900 words and if you write 900 words a day for the rest of november you'll finish your book by the 30th so is it uh i tell you there's quite a lot of community around this then is it kind of like this great event where at the end of november it's like and here's the like 1000 books that have all been finished i think publishers both love and dread december because on one hand a ton of new material and on the other hand it's a lot of people just dropping 50,000 words into their laps being like i wrote a novel and then they go no you didn't now edit it go back go away shoot Part of the philosophy of NaNoWriMo is do not edit your book, don't even think about it, just write, 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 and eventually you have 50,000 words to do something with. But none of the books that people write in November are good. Uh, The one they finish in January is a good book. I mean, I do really agree with that philosophy. Whenever I had to give advice for people writing their um, dissertations at uni, I was always just like, just write words. Mm -hmm. Just write words, make it right. Step one to writing a good dissertation Write a bad dissertation, and we'll edit it until it's good much later. Very wise, Duncan. You're a man of great wisdom. I've always said so. Thank you. The other thing I've been doing, and the way I've been participating in the fantasy genre, is I've been watching two TV shows in the time since we've been together. Um, One of them was one which I told you about literally 10 minutes after uh, we finished recording our Berserk episode, was that I found out that not only is Disney Plus... um, showing the current final season of Bleach, which um, has only just been adapted, the Thousand Year Blood War arc, very exciting, I then discovered that they had the entirety of Bleach. So as I told you, I'm, I said, all right, I'm going to watch the entirety of Bleach, and I have been doing so. I've been watching a lot of Bleach, I have a lot of thoughts, uh, I feel like I could definitely make a eight-hour YouTube essay series on Bleach, so very exciting stuff. I, I have All I have to say is I have watched Bleach, I have watched the entirety of Bleach, including mm. all filler arcs, and I'll be happily be there for that journey. Uh, for the record, for people who are interested, Bleach is an anime that's about 360 episodes. 
of which the first 20 are really good. The next 50 are actually, you know, they're pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know why it kept going after that. <laughs> you fucking said it, man. That's, you couldn't have said it better. That is so true. Well, that's your eight hours cut down. You fucking did it. Yep. <laughs> so, Jordi. So, first writer's call. The second book by Kristen Britton. And the sequel to a book which we really enjoyed on this podcast, Green Rider. One of the best surprises of the podcast, I think. Absolutely. I knew next to nothing going into Green Rider. It was a Christmas present I got from someone who themselves said, Mm. listen, I just like the cover. I don't know what this is about. It seems fantasy. It seems up your street. And I quite distinctly remember calling that book a 10 out of 10, 7 out of 10. And given the few months since we read it, um, I actually kind of stand by it. I think, yeah, it really is a fantastic uh, mm-hmm. heroic fantasy coming of age. I'm not quite sure exactly what box I want to put it in. It just kind of spilled over John's a bit. Mm. But it was so good at what it did. Uh, but what it did, I felt, was sure. quite reserved in the sense that as a standalone novel, and this is very relevant to what I'm about to say later, I felt it worked. It was an adventure. It gave me just enough world building to sure. serve the plot it was telling, just enough characterization uh-huh. to serve the plot it was telling. And then it told it, and then it was done, and I was happy. Yeah, man. What else What else can you say? Um, speaking of book covers, Duncan, have you ever seen the original covers to the Green Rider books? Uh, are these the ones, it's basically all of them are just... The main character riding well, a horse through a wood. Somewhat. But like done differently. In one of them, she's standing and she's looking up at a ghost. And on one, she's like riding away from a black rider. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I think those... I mean, there's, I think there's just something really wonderful about those, like, those things. They feel so much like... I don't... I, I, I struggle to how to communicate it, but they feel so much more fun and pulpy. They're a bit like... The cover of like an Elric story or or even a Conan novella, you know? It's just the main character in action, you know? No, I do know. And it's almost something that I I really struggle with, uh, kind of a lot of modern book covers. I, because there's some of them which I do like. I'm not going to lie, the sort of the wave that came out after Brandon Sanderson, the white with sort of the, uh, a splash of colour over sort of a pencil sketched sure. character or scene, I really love. It's beautiful. But I'm not going to lie, the number of books on my shelf that are essentially sword. sword yep, I'm looking at, I'm lo- I literally did the first ass. thing I looked at when I looked at my bookshelf was Realm Breaker by Victoria Aveyard, which is literally just a hand holding a sword. And I'm just like, guys, I know that like kind of tells, and it is good because I know there are re- readers out there who will look at that and go, yep, that's one of my books. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the um in in the YA fantasy genre, which Duncan is obviously the biggest fan of on this podcast. Um, obviously, man. Uh, it it is so. Oh look, we hunt the flame. That's got a sword in it as well. The front cover genre is so captured. Um, very old school was Twilight. That had a huge influence for a while, and then it was uh, Throne of Glass, and it is to this day. Girl holding sword, glowering at the reader. Bingo, bango. That's it. I don't want to say that's all of it, because I do feel there's still a little bit kind of, I don't know, I feel like, because I don't want to know, because I don't want to pin down what the originator was, but, because I know, like, like, do you ever look at, like, the modern Game of Thrones covers, and you're just like, 
you're missing so much like compared to the classic have you seen the classic game of throne covers um no the only thing i know is that there's the the one i think you're thinking of which is like colored background an object that's it yeah that was the ones that i read and then i found like a classic one from like 99 in a shop once and it was like four mini portraits in each of the corners of a different character and in the center Mm. it was like the red keep but drawn as like just a square kind of castle coloured red. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, sure. that's the vibe. <laughs> and I remember turning to my partner and being like, if you saw that cover, you would never mm. think it was any different to all the others. Yeah, there's something to be said for an increasing minimalism in graphic design. I don't know anywhere near enough about it to talk about it in any great detail. But it's like with like, so actually, I'll tell you what it fucking reminds me of. So you know how all movie posters are about just showing the actors in the movie? Um, mm-hmm. Just right up there, you see their faces and you go, oh, I like that actor. I like that actor. I like that actor. Okay, I'll watch this movie. Yeah. The poster for Avatar, The Way of Water came out recently. And it's the exact same design with a bunch of fucking blue aliens. I don't know who these blue aliens are. I know that one of them is Jake Sully, but I don't know which one he is because they all look the same. And the rest of them aren't actors. I can't recognize the actor behind it. Why couldn't you do a good poster? Like you didn't have any actors to put on it because I can't recognize them. So why couldn't you make like the Exorcist poster? You know, a good design instead of this modern crap, you know? Okay, Jordi, let's kind of pull a positive spin. Is there like a more modern, and when I say modern, what, the last five years, like book cover that you're like, nah, this, this is where it's at? Um, no, I can't think of any, sorry. Okay, I, I do have one. I really like the, the cover art for the uh, the band uh, saga, the King of the Wilds, the Bloody Rose. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and also the, the Gustav's Prayer. Uh, same artist I really like that that kind of more like watercoloured kind of I don't want to say washed out but like the type of colour you're like yep that is a group of people Mm. and that is a vibe cool Uh, Duncan have you noticed that we're not talking about First Rider's Call no I've been doing that very intentionally gosh okay Geordie I want you to talk about it first because I want people to experience someone who picked this book and was excited to read it uh, First Rider's Call f- follows on the story of um, Kerrigan Glavian um, on her journey of being a Green Rider, a messenger for the king. Um, it picks up a story after she has initially refused to join the Riders and then quickly changed her mind and does so. And then we see her respond to uh, strange happenings in the world. Magic is making a strange resurgence, causing crazy stuff to happen all over the place. And the course of the story is much more fractured than the first one. The first story, whilst it did take place from multiple characters' perspectives, like, say, Dune, uh, it was a much more straightforward story. It was about a journey. A girl has to deliver a letter. She does deliver a letter. Um, Adventures happen along the way. Kind of more Three Musketeers. This book is far more fractured in multiple ways. It spends a lot more time with other characters in very different places, like at the Dire Wall and beyond, jumping back and forth between the King and uh, Captain Mapstone and Kerrigan herself, but also back and forth in time. This is 
to my surprise, this is a book about time travel. Yes, it is. It features surprisingly heavily, and I'm not sure if I liked it a lot. I can understand that. And I kind of agree. I didn't have anything against the fact that it was a time travel book per se. I didn't have anything against the particular scenes that were back in time. I simply felt that those two halves of the story, the in the past and in the present bits, weren't really in conversation with one another. Thank you. Thank you for summarising it like that. Because that's exactly how I felt. Mm. I felt that this book had a lack of sort of cohesion between the plot events Mm -hmm. and the character development they just didn't seem to interact you would go through some events and i feel like carrigan was just kind of there so that we could see them and that we could then know that thing happened but unlike the first book and obviously i need to make that comparison very fair comparison in the first book every sort of stop in the adventure i felt that carrigan learned Mm -hmm. and grew and you saw her develop I didn't feel that in this book. In fact, I'd honestly say, well, there was this sort of subtle, oh, she's learning to take more, like, authority and power. Sure. Um, It's about leadership. About leadership, exactly. It it didn't really even come home for me. I'm like, yeah, I can see that's what you're trying, that's what the point of this bit of the story is. But there was no scene where I went, Mm -hmm. yes, only Carrigan at the end of this book would have done that, where Carrigan at the start of this book, and when I say start, I mean kind of post-prologue, wouldn't have done that. I'm I'm actually looking at two very similar characters going, yeah, I don't think she's come that long. Mm, yeah, there, there's something to be said for that. I think the the real critical thing is that you're right. This story is, is about Kerrigan. Uh, and you're right, it is Kerrigan. I don't know why I keep saying Kerrigan. Yes, I do know why I say Kerrigan, because Kerrigan is a real name and I've met someone called Kerrigan. Hooray, mystery solved. Um, I think the reason why that slight issue happens is that you're right. This is a story about Carrigan learning to be a leader, learning to command the Green Riders. She's been thrust into this position against her will. Captain Mapstone uh, is deeply ill, basically, to summarize it, uh, throughout a good portion of this book, and she needs to step up into her, into this role as a leader. But the thing about, you know, her character arc should be that her being a leader should have a lot more impact on her decisions at the end of the story. And at the end of the story, she's not the leader anymore. Captain Mapstone's back, and so she didn't really need to be a leader. And and most of her actual development comes from the time travel stuff. It's, oh, okay. I need to, to kind of say that point. I need to jump to the end of the book and give away a spoiler. Um, if you, I'm just going to say it now. If you have not read this book for Book Club and you have the inkling that you might enjoy it, based on the first book, I still feel like maybe you should give it a go and read it, despite the fact that I'm going to be saying quite I agree, negative I agree. things. So. Yeah, this is like a six and a half, uh, it's like a six, and a, six out of ten book. I would agree. Opinion. It has dropped a point, but line in the sand, bit of spoilers, at the end of this book, there's a moment where Kagan picks up the horn, the ancient horn of the Green Riders, which, when the captain blows it, mm-hmm. they come a-calling. And it makes a really big point that she blows mm. it and nothing happens because only the captain has that power. Yeah. Like, but that's that's like not the lesson. I, I didn't. I hadn't registered that. Yeah, it's that's a good the point. End of this book is them going 
and Carrigan is still not the captain. I was like, no, I honestly thought it would be a moment where the captain tries to blow it. But then it's like, no, Kalkin, you've become the true captain by leading us over this 700 page novel. Um, that's my second point I'm going to get to. Wow, 700 pages. And it's not. And Geordie, right, am I fair in saying this? And I think I am fair, but, you know, do you agree with me? It's more what I'm asking. This book, I feel like should have been half the length. Although I couldn't point to an individual scene and say, yeah, this scene should be the one that gets cut. Yeah, that was exactly the sort of position I was in when we read Red Sister, where I was like, this book was too long, should have cut some stuff. But it's actually kind of hard to retroactively go back and say what should have been taken out. Um, Because a lot of stuff is in there and is necessary. I think you need most of the scenes of the king. After all, this is a book about leadership and he's the true leader of the realm. And we're looking to him for inspiration. Carrigan's looking to him um, to figure out what it means to be a great leader. Uh, he's also focal to the story because Carrigan is falling in love with him. And he's falling in love with her. You need the Lady Alora scenes because Lady Alora is very important to setting up the next book, obviously. Because she's going to marry the king. And that's going to be a lot of personal drama. You can't cut the Alton chapters because Alton is central to the climax of the book, even though he doesn't get to do a lot. I was really disappointed with how little he got to do. Uh, And you obviously can't cut the Captain Mapstone scenes because, one, she's taken out of the picture in this book, and two, they're really important to her character. And that leaves you with a lot of the, um, the past and the flashback scenes. But that is the world building. And I kind of feel like that's the point of this novel. This novel, it feels like an author has gone, I wrote my first book, it is a success. Okay, I'm now going to go from that standalone story into my multi-arc epic fantasy series I want to write. And that requires me to take a a book and lay out the I think some of that stuff is actually pretty fine, you know? I think that the in-between chapters... So in-between chapters in a lot of fantasy novels, people will basically just put parts from historical books in, from their setting inside it and I hate it I don't like it I think it sucks it happened in um Angel of Mercy Angel of Vengeance what was that book called no a book that we read yeah yeah the one that was bad and it was about an angel oh the no the uh, the demon and demon silver. and silver yeah in Demon and Silver, like, every chapter started, like, a bit of, like, in fantasy geography or history or religious studies, and it was boring, and I couldn't remember any of it. I never felt that with the excerpts in this book, because they were taken from someone's diary. It was, um, like, a testament by Hadriax Alfax, um, who very slowly, through the story, in between these chapters, starts to paint a picture of stuff that's happened in the ancient past and gives you a lot of world building um, without it just being on the nose, him giving you a definition of terms. I thought that was actually pretty well written. And I'm not going to say it wasn't. In fact, that kind of leads back to what I said um, earlier, which is I I don't know what to cut because that was good. Like that was a good section. I like the fact that using it as a diary, I think was very effective because it gave me that world building and that kind of historical context. Mm -hmm. But I was still invested in his story. I agree. Yeah, I kind of wanted to see like, I want to learn what's going to happen to him. Is he a traitor to Mornhaven or is he a traitor to Lil? What's it going to be? 
I was completely being carried along like that. But why do I then finish this novel and go, wait, what happened? I've got it. Sorry, I've got to jump in and just say I've got it. It's not that this novel should have been shorter. It's just that more should have happened. I was going to say it should be two books. I think you were right earlier. And I, whilst you were talking, I thought of something. There are two books here, and you're right about this. Those two books should have more in them. One book is about, is book, I don't know, three. No, this, this is book two. Captain Mapstone starts to get ill. She starts to, her magical powers start to make her, like, be depressed and schizophrenic. And McCarrigan has to step up and take her place and become the leader. And oh no, this, uh, this journey is interrupted by a bunch of bad stuff happening all at once. Alton Dyer has gone vanished beyond the wall. What are we going to do to save him? And so much magical stuff is happening across the realm. And there's a wraith on the loose. And her newfound position means that she's closer to the king. Uh, the man mm-hmm. that she's has this difficult, like, secret romance on and crush. Oh, mm-hmm. the drama. The drama. And then the next book after that is about Kerrigan going time traveling. You know? Like, those are so separate from one another that I kind of feel like they should have just been separate books. And I want to give you an example of why. Why that my theoretical book three, The Adventures of Time Cop Carrigan and Lil Ambrioff, why that should be book three. And that is, Duncan, could you imagine adapting, say, um, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time into a book? And having something else going on instead of the time travel stuff? Time travel really should be the main focus of the story. And everything else should kind of tie into that. You can't really have political intrigue happening the same time as the main character going back and forth in time. I'm trying to kind of think that through now, how, how you would do that. You're saying, imagine I'm adapting Ocarina of Time into a book. Yeah. And I go, yeah, he's going to time travel to to beat the evil dark sorcerer uh, but mm-hmm. also um zelda might be married off to um, yeah you got it exactly anton tutututut and mm-hmm. there is a drama in the and and when link visits the castle um <laughs> he hears all about the stable boy and how his life is going speaking of stable boys i kept waiting for that stable girl to show up from the first book but she never did wait is that not mara no that's what i was so confused about for the, for the first part of the book, it's like, why is Mara an adult now? She was 12 before. And it took me ages to realize that Mara is not the same person. Mara is a grown woman who is not the stable girl from before. This, I, I didn't realize that. I just <laughs> went, I, I honestly, I just went, do you know what? I got everyone's ages wrong in the first book. Like King Zachary, I still don't know what age he is. He's a young in man. Fact, that was made quite clear in this book. I feel like she got notes. Well, that's fine. I just basically decided that, and same with Mara, their age equals X, and X equals whatever their age needs to be for this to be normal and fine. <laughs> that's all I've got. I'm looking up the character's name. Uh, Melry Exeter. That's the girl from the first book. Melry Exeter. I assume you're writing this down because it's very important. I'm not writing this down because she doesn't appear again. So, yeah. 
How is she important? Um, I accidentally just found out that she appears in the third book and never again. So there we go. Exactly. It's not. Oh, Geordie, I'm really struggling because I don't want to not like this book because mm. I enjoyed every scene, every chapter. Oh, my God. Geordie. Yeah. It's Wheel of Time. Okay, well, Duncan, I've never read Wheel of Time, so I don't know what to sell you, buddy. Why is it like it's, Wheel of Time? This is the exact same feeling I had when I read... Um, the last Wheel of Time book I read was Fire of Heaven. Uh, after a bit of a reread, and I've read Fire of Heaven. I just went, there's not a single paragraph that I can take out and go, that is a bad paragraph, or I didn't enjoy reading that chapter. But you finished the 1,000 pages, and you just sit there and go... I feel like more should have happened for that. I feel like I could summarise this a little too quickly. I, w- I do have a lot of positives to say about it, and you're right. I don't think there's any scenes that I disliked in this book at all. But as we, as we said, it's kind of it's kind of put together a bit weird. I think the fundamental problem is that the thing that we loved about Kerrigan and a reason why we really enjoyed having her as the protagonist, and even said the thing that makes this book work is Kerrigan is the fact that she is literally always on the move in that first book. She has a purpose. It is a singular one. She goes through all these trials to accomplish it, and because she makes it through them, we respect her and we think she's cool. And in this book, she's not going anywhere. We know where she needs to go long before she does. We know she needs to go beyond the wall. But she doesn't find that out for like 90% of the book. And it's kind of frustrating to know that she's not advancing towards what she needs to advance towards. I felt that frustration. I just felt like she was never let off her chain. Even, like, there's three action scenes. There are three. You've got the opening ambush. You've got, there's one in the middle where she goes back in time and first fully meets the, the first rider. Lil Ambrose. Um, while time travelling. And then there's the end. Um, which, I'm not going to lie, the ending of this book... It was very much, um, well, I mentioned how the first action is an ambush. And I kind of felt like that's how all of them were. It was, she's going along and suddenly there are enemies. <clears throat> and then, ah, swing, 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 fight your way through. Oh, look, we made it. <clears throat> there was nowhere near as much. Um, I just love that scene in the first book where she gets captured by the spider, scorpion, <clears throat> giant creature. And then it's her and she's thinking and you go into Kerrigan's mind like, how am I going to get out of this? Mm. What can I do? I just didn't feel like Kerrigan was being clever. Like at the end of the first book, you have her sneak coming, like we're going to sneak into the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, the planning and the strategic side of it. Yeah. I really just felt like she was carried along on this book. I mean, at the end, she's kind of literally carried on. She doesn't... She's not even acting under her own power. She has a plan which is kind of weird and I think actually pretty good. And I liked that implementation of time travel. But fundamentally, once again, like in the first book, Carrigan for one scene lets a ghost take over her body to fight for her. Uh, and that was like, and that was over. At the end of that book, um, that ghost moves on. Free and Cobalt, they moves on he goes on to the afterlife or whatever uh and in this book it happens again she gets another ghost to possess her so she gets really good at fighting um which oh my god a huge a huge problem in this book uh talk about something being set off and not paid off so the conclusion of this book is to fight the wraith uh she lets lil ambry take over her body 
the fighting is written okay because it switches to Lil Amarov's point of view and she thinks about how, like, it's a bit weird controlling, like, a smaller, weaker body than hers, but she still fights and that's okay. It's well enough written. Um, the thing which Carrigan was learning all book was how to fight left-handed, right? Yeah. All whole book, book. She's learning to fight left-handed. She has a shoulder injury, which I respect a lot. I had a shoulder injury. It sucks. So, I res- so Carrigan, sympathies. I understand. Um, and she spends a whole book learning to fight left-handed so she can, you know, look after herself. And I'm waiting for the scene where she gets shot in the right shoulder with an arrow. And the bad guy's going, ho, 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 ho. No, you can't defeat me. And then she picks up a sword of her left hand. And now she's fighting better than ever before. And like, haha, my hard work paid off. And it never happens. She never uses her left hand. Set up and pay off. Mm. It's just not done. Oh, it's really confusing me. It's really confusing me, Geordie, because... I don't think we've ever read a book where I've enjoyed the way it's written, but just had so many issues with how it's plotted. Like, do you remember in the first book, you have the League? Yeah. uh, Like the Anti-Monarchy League. Where are they? Oh, do you? I don't think think Chris and Britain remembered that. That's a really cool concept. It's so strange. I was waiting for them to show up. The King's like, there's multiple scenes in this book where the King's concerned about his position and his power. They're not brought up. Yeah. There's a bit at the very end of this book where the king is turning to Kaogun uh, and saying, do you know what I really like about you? When we first met, you told me I should go out there and meet the people. And it's like... You didn't do so that! go out there and let us meet the people. He didn't do it. Like, he, they, it does show him scenes of having people come in and talk to him. So I guess that's what they're saying. But it kind of, you're right, just the phrasing of that falls in its face because he didn't go out and he hasn't seen the state of his world. He hasn't seen the state of his country. Um, He's just decided to right a couple of moral wrongs. And that's that. Uh, The end of this book is so, in a good way and a bad way, it is so the end of an episode of West Wing. You know what I mean? Um, I do not. Go on, explain it. Basically, West Wing is a show that takes place in the White House. And it's about the daily operations of working at the White House, solving political conundrums. And basically, every episode is going to end up being a conflict between a bunch of Democrats and a bunch of Republicans. And they're able to all shake hands and agree on things because they, like, find some human common ground in between them. They're like... We can look past bipartisan lines and just realize that I'm a guy and you're a guy. We both love our families. And a Republican goes, I now agree to your Democratic policies. And that's that's it. It's just total jerk-off material, you know? <sighs> God. It's a lack of political sophistication played f- for that exact purpose. Sorry, I feel I may have spilled a bit of tea with that phrasing, but go on. So you feel that at the end of this novel, we basically get the same scene. A lot of kind of moral, I don't know, handshaking and we did good. Yeah, basically. No actual hard response. You have this scene at the end of the book where all the powerful lords from around the realm uh, pose a serious political threat to uh, the king. And he overcomes this 
by having all the people who have been wronged by this one lord who he needs to punish. And he demonstrates so thoroughly that this guy did a bad thing and should be held accountable that he is in fact held accountable. And he doesn't have to do anything politically sophisticated. He doesn't have to make any hard decisions. It's just like, no, 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 no. Uh, the moral weight of this means that they have no choice but to turn against their political ally. You know? I mean, I think that's a really good kind of insight to modern day politics, actually, and quite ahead of the time for the author, because as we know, that's that's how it always functions. You know, once someone really is shown in the court of law that they did wrong, their political allies condemn them out of moral obligation. Maybe I'm just too cynical. Maybe politics was all okay in like... Uh, what will this book come out? 2001? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a simpler time. 2001. Uh, depending on the exact date in 2001, <laughs> maybe. But I... See, because I didn't despise that scene. I thought it was okay. It demonstrated a point. It said that, oh, yes, King Zachary, he's, he's not just giving in. But I just felt the whole setup was a bit weird. You know, it was established very early on in this novel... So, for context, we have not read the book. The lord that we're talking about, the evil lord, he's basically, he's, refugees are flooding in into his land, and instead of helping them on the king's orders, he's dressed up a bunch of mercenaries in the king's armour, and basically force-marched them uh, off his land, and horrifically run them, like, giving them, you know, giving them no food, they're, you know, it's being recorded that the mercenaries are taking, you know, the women and young daughters and assaulting mm. them and yeah man we can't we're on a real hot streak of oh. can't talk about any fantasy novels without bringing that up uh apologies not... to Kristen britain for ever thinking the first book was ya because yeah definitely isn't actually <laughs> definitely is for book for, for grown-ups i mean this is the issue i have with this though because it makes it so distant I actually thought that maybe when this was going on and you heard about these horrible things happening, perhaps our, um, oh, what's that thing we have? Our, our main character would uh, ride out there. Do and maybe something. Get a, yeah, maybe, the, maybe Carrigan, maybe the king goes, I don't know who to trust. Carrigan, go and give me a report and see with your own eyes if this is true or not. Um, well, I don't think that's quite the case because really, like, that, like I said, that's the political side of the book. Kristen Britton wants this book to be also about courtly intrigue. And that's where the courtly intrigue comes in. Um, so, so that's where the king, like, he takes his focal point. That's his part of the story. And Captain Matt Stone gets put off to the side so that Carrigan can step into her place. Captain Matt Stone's power slowly driving her insane is, um, is really dark and written pretty well until the exact last moment of that storyline what do you think the ability in question is that she kind of has an inner voice that will always tell her if something is the truth or if something is a lie and that's her magical ability but it basically goes haywire and she can not only kind of hear this all her own thoughts are basically getting this inner voice read to her you know she'll, she'll think to herself like you're being you're useless and the inner yeah. voice will be like lie or they'd be better off without you and it'd be like true it was a very interesting concept that i personally felt maybe could have been explored a bit more thoroughly 
I, I, I felt actually, like yeah. it was pretty good until the exact last second where like she's been pushed by it so hard that she's now thinking about ending things and it's real dark and then literal deus ex machina a ghost shows up and tells her not to and fixes her that's the end of that story i'm gonna be honest with you that kind of barely registered with me at that bit now that you can put the light on that i think it is a bit of a weak ending because it's not addressing her own thoughts no she doesn't like get better she doesn't come to terms with the fact that she made a mistake or that the mistake wasn't her fault it literally just gets fixed externally and not even by stuff the main characters do by like an ancient hero who originally owned Captain Matt Stone's badge. Captain Matt Stone isn't someone who's ever seen a ghost before. She's not one of those people like Carrigan who can see ghosts. The ghost just rocks up and saves her. That's um that that's actually bad bad. Like that's a scene that I would remove. That is a scene that I would take out. Is this uh sort of a very strong example then of that idea of character development and plot not really going hand in hand throughout this book? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's time to resolve the conflict. A ghost did it. <laughs> no, don't say that, because that is the answer to pretty much all the conflicts in this book. No, well, yes, but those ghosts are established, and that's the whole point. Like, they'd spend a huge amount of time talking about, wait a minute, what the fuck happened with that conspiracy? What? The conspiracy? The conspiracy, the huge conspiracy. Oh, yeah, they just go to try and kidnap Kerrigan and they fail. That's the end of that scene. So what Jordi is referencing, there is a conspiracy of people who call themselves the Second Empire. They are the descendants of the original colonizers that came to this land to enslave its native people. And they've blended in and they've kept themselves by secrecy. And their dream is one day the the Empire will rise again. Um, And essentially, the end of their introduction to this story is they try to capture the main hero. They fail. They get arrested. Mm-hmm. And then in jail, before they can be questioned, they are poisoned. And we basically get a last message of, this is how the Empire does it. But they will rise one day, and then the man dies. And you're left to be like, oh, okay, so the woman who like brought the food made a big fuss to the guard of being like, oh, not for you. This is the prisoner's mm-hmm. food. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we're going to have a little like investigation, like tracking her down. Nope. Not addressed. They literally get poisoned and they all go, oh, that's a shame. Maybe in book four of this series, we could have one that's about a conspiracy to overthrow the crown. Except that was the first book. I like the elements, though. I like the idea of the Second Empire. I like the idea of the ghost and the time travel. And I would love to have had that be its own book, Geordie, so that uh, the first rider, the main ghost we sort of meet during the time traveling, could become more of a character. Maybe her and Carrigan become like almost friends or gain a greater mutual respect for each other or some That's sort of happens. like... It happens. I personally felt that near the end of this book, there's a moment where uh, the first rider, Lil Abercrombie... That's my attempt at her name. Lil, Lil. Abercrombie and Fitch, yes. Lil was like, I respect this girl. She's got the stuff. And I personally felt like I was just being told how she felt. I didn't necessarily feel like it was a real natural progression of her character. Because with the time travel, we sort of see her at so many different moments that I don't really feel like I know her. 
because we meet her young, we meet her old, but then we meet her ghost who's like several thousand years later. It's like, mm. what? this isn't a consistent character. And that can be done. Books have done it where you check in a character when they're young, you check in when they're old, and the character development is lined up to sort of ignore the years in between so it makes sense. Or sure, I see your point. Jumps. I see your point, I see your point. I liked this book, but I really feel like, compared to the first book, I, you said a 6.5. Mm-hmm. A 5? That feels too so bad. So it's literally 50, like 50-50 good and bad? No, because it's all good. It's just a book that is... It's, it's lesser than the sum of its parts. <sighs> it just lets itself down a lot of ways. I'm going to talk about some good stuff now. Like some stuff that is like really good and I wouldn't change. Please so. do, because I'm feeling I'm getting actually more almost like upset with this book the more we kind of analyze it. Because when I, I can't first remember this character's name, but Hologram Wizard. Wasn't he pretty cool? He was pretty cool. He always felt kind of a bit out of place by how kind of cool he was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's uh, and I'm not talking like the Fawn's cool. He wasn't wearing shades. Um, he was just like a really neat idea suddenly plopped into the story and you're just sort of told, hey, deal with this. This is a simulacrum. This is a representation of a wizard at a certain period of time. He creates a duplicate of himself to like look after this tower and he's still walking around and he's basically like an AI. He's basically a computer and he thinks about things in a slightly computery way. He has limitations of what he can think and what he can know, like a computer. But he's just a guy, a weird wizard man, wandering around. And he's utilized really well, not just by the fact that he's in the story and he's kind of cool, but the fact that the person he has to bounce off of, this clearly very intelligent, not charismatic man, is severely dehydrated and slightly insane Alton Dyer. What an odd couple, you know? There's not enough of them. That was such a unique little twist. It's the exact type of character that I would have loved Carrigan to come mm. across on sure. her journeys. I wanted Carrigan to be riding across the land and come across the magic tower with no door and then go inside. That's and true. That's basically wizard. a scene from the first book. Like, remember the Berry sisters? It's yes. like that. I like them a lot or more Or like the now. woodsman in, in Carrigan. He's just like a kind of weird character. Kerrigan meets, he's fun, and then we move on. As you kind of say that, that does then make me think if that kind of leads into the issue with her being so stationary. Because all the characters we meet at the castle are either not weird and quirky enough, or they only pop up for a very small Mm. amount, and then we move on. But because we're not geographically moving on, you're a bit like, um, that's it? I I, I slightly disagree with that. Um, because I do feel like there are some I, fun green riders who are introduced. One big change from the first book yes. is that now Carrigan is a respected member of the green riders. She's not a pretender green rider anymore. And I really like all the green riders we meet. I do too. Um, particularly at the very start mm. of this book, I think it does very well because we get a very quick introduction to yeah. some green riders. And then yeah. some of them die uh, very quickly. And... I, I me too. Sad. I just met these. I characters. knew him for two chapters, and, and I was like, I "Oh the... man, I missed that guy." Which is really good. That's really good writing because I feel like 
maybe it's my expectation for Kristen Britton. She really wrote that in such a way that made me think, mm. oh, yes, I'm going to be seeing more yeah, of you. Yeah, absolutely. I was really expecting it to be nope. an important part of the book going forward. But they are kind of fun to hang out with. And there are people who you're like, I don't want to see these guys die. I want to see them keep going on cool adventures. I feel bad yes. for Mara when she gets set on fire. That sucks. And maybe that goes back to your multiple book theory, because I think that was the issue. I didn't have enough mm. time with these Green Riders, because it's split between these Green Riders and the Green Riders of Ancient Past. And I feel like in two books, I could have gotten to know both mm. groups of people. Yeah. Speaking of the ensemble cast... Here's a really good part of this book, right? The, the doctor treating Mara throughout this whole book is this young man. Uh, when Captain Mapstone blows the horn at the end, it's going to summon new green riders to accept the call. And this doctor stumbles into the room like wide eyed and full of full of the joy of the, the hunt. And they explain, you just got magically summoned. Your destiny is to be a part of the green riders. And what's his response, Duncan? I hate horses. He's afraid of horses. I laughed so hard. It was brilliant. I know he's going to be, like, so important in book three and four. Like, clearly, Kristen Britton, halfway through this book, was like, oh, I love this character. I'm going to make him have so many cool powers and cool scenes. It's going to be great. I would love that. I would really enjoy if in the next book we got some of the writers we meet in this book. Mm. Uh all kind of got together and they were like a little gang and they had to go off on an adventure together mm. yeah or, like, you know what would be really good here's here's your bloody book right now oh it's a th it's a three or four man mission you need carrigan you need the doctor i've forgotten his name i read this book a long time ago duncan brent what ben like brent ben? or ben all right i'll say brent i don't think it's ben uh it's 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 carrigan it's carrigan brent um, another Green Rider, literally a random, slightly gimmicky one, he's allowed to die, and Alton Dyer. Four of them yes. go on an adventure. You know? Because, what's, what's Carrigan's big thrust right now? Um, she doesn't have to worry about the ultimate forces of evil as much. That's kind of been put in the back burner. But what she's really worried about is, why isn't Alton talking to me? And... I'm really bummed out about the fact that the king's getting married, you know? So make the next one into the big relationship drama book. I would agree with that. I would get behind that so much. I, I like Carrigan, and I want to see Carrigan go on another quest. Mm. And I'm excited to read that book, Geordie. Like, but I need, to, I need to know. I need someone to come and tell me, don't worry, that's what the third Green Rider book is. Because if the third Green Rider book is this one again... I'm worried it would make me start to not like it or not like Harrigan by association. And I'm too worried about that. I am fearful. Are, are you telling me we're not going to read all eight books on the podcast, Duncan? I'm telling you, you better go ahead, scout out the series and report <laughs> back to me before I declare Duncan. it our next mission. <sighs> the funny thing is that I can't actually make you read it. As you pointed out last time we recorded... Um, only you can decide, which means that I now need to read a whole book and then persuade you that you can read it and then make you pick it. Yeah, please. All right, cool. Whatever. 
Yeah, man, I hope the next book's really good. If it isn't, I will be fucking disappointed. I have been told by accident of a plot of one of the books. I don't know which one it is. They're just like, you know, like the, the arc where this happened. And that sounds like it sounds like a return to the form of the first book. That one spoiler I got was like, that sounds like a cool adventure. And I would imagine... Um, I, I would imagine the rest of the series probably is like that. I really got the feeling that this was the this is the book for world building. This is the book for setting up the pieces so that we can go on the next big adventure. You want to hear the last thing I really liked about this book? Yes, please. Please. I thought, and this was a really weird part, and it could have gone bad, but I think it actually worked out really well. The conclusion to all the time travel stuff, the fact that Kerrigan keeps accidentally going back in time, is that she comes up with a plan with Lil Ambriov. Because all this time, and increasingly so towards the end of the book, Mornhaven is trying to conquer her, to possess her. And as she rides into his realm, into the dire forest or whatever, she, uh, she lets him in. She lets him take over. And then Lil Ambriov drags them through time she takes all of them to the future and then she and kerrigan jump back to the present and so they they let him in and they like drive as far as they can into the future and then jump back and they abandon mornhaven in the future they remove him from time it's samurai jack huh <laughs> didn't get that reference or didn't think of it that I way i mean i get it I didn't get it until this exact moment. Yeah, it's Samurai Jack-ish, I suppose. That is the plot of Samurai Jack. Um, where the villain sends the hero to the future, to when he's already won, basically, to better prepare himself mm. to fight the hero. But I, I think you're right. This is a really neat way uh, to kind of put the main villain off, but still keep him this dread. It's like, we're not strong enough to fight yeah. him. And, I know, but that's actually, like, I think that's really smart. Like, he could show up literally at any time. Quantum Mornhaven. And I think that's why I'm on this cusp. I'm like, well, I'm really excited to hear about that. When would he mm. appear? Um, I also kind of get the vibe. Uh, in this book, there's the Wraith character. And we're like, that was one of his generals. I'm like, we're going to meet more of his generals. It's like every book, there's going to be a different... That guy was so wasted. Like, that could have been so interesting and exciting, and just nothing happened with him. No, it... He's set up to be the main antagonist for the book, and he doesn't do anything. Absolutely. It's... it's, I was going to make a comparison to Lord of the Rings there, but I don't think that's fair. It's as if the the Witch King was killed... (laughs) Unceremoniously? He wasn't a main character? Man, imagine that! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but didn't do anything cool or kill anyone interesting beforehand that's the comparison okay. if Theoden hadn't died and the witch king had just been brought down during the battle you're like well what was the point alright we've now crossed the hour mark we can do in the episode <laughs> if we haven't talked about Alton should we talk about him a little bit yeah let's do a little bit on Alton and then we can, we can go to wrap up I think that's quite nice Alton's story is kind of wasted potential uh, it could have been a really good story. Um, instead, it's kind of a footnote that just sort of needs to happen. And that's fine. I envisioned a story where basically Alton Dyer is trying to survive in the wilderness 
and he has tons of adventures. And that's not what Kristen Britton was interested in writing. I think if that had been a part of the two books that we were suggesting, Court Intrigue plus Rafe on one hand, Time Travel Adventures on the other, in that first book, my theoretical book too, I think that would have been longer, more detailed, and a lot more similar to Kerrigan's adventures, like fighting the spider monster, you know? He's in the place where those spider monsters come from. There should have been a lot of monsters which he had to deal with and barely survive and then get dehydrated and then finally get tricked into almost bringing down the wall. And the fact that that didn't happen, he was asleep and in like a drugged up fugue state for most of it, yeah, it didn't quite do it for me. I really liked Alton. Oh, whoa, that's a big change. You hated him before. Because Alton before... I felt like he was a pointless romance triangle item. Okay. Whereas here, I actually felt Alton. I actually felt his character. His is so small. Good. The start of his story. Him interacting with the his two like younger cousins. Like mm. I like I get Alton. This is him. Uh, I enjoyed his character, and that's why in our hypothetical next book, where Alton goes off mm. on an adventure with Carrigan. I would be mm-hmm. on board that because I'm I'm interested in Alton. He still didn't do anything interesting, I, as you said. <laughs> but no, he's gonna he's gonna have a lot of guilt in the next bo- in the next book. You know, he's gonna be like, "Oh my god, I fucked up so bad." But that could be interesting, like him coming to terms. With I that, think so. Yeah, absolutely. He fucked up, but also that it wasn't his fault. He was dehydrated and had an illusion spell <laughs> cast on him. After he'd no, but he's been... gonna blame himself. You know, he's gonna be like. I should have known. I should have known that Kerrigan would never say those things to me. Ugh. It's going to be great. It's going to be so emo. There we go. Plenty of potential going forward. I also really like the end of that part of the story. Because the whole time, one of the big villains of the story appears to be Alton's cousin. Who's cruel and jealous and, like, bitter. And the whole time, he's getting more and more crazy. He's starting to hear voices. And you're like, no, the evil spirits of Mornhaven, they're consuming him. But that's not the case, is it, Geordie? It's not. It's it's such a good bait and switch. He stumbles in right at the end. Just when you think, oh, fuck, this guy's going to ruin everything. Just as Alton is about to undo the damage he's done, he's going to fix it. And... What happens is, is that this guy stumbles in and says, Alton, you fucked everything up. You're about to destroy the wall our ancestors built. And he fixes the wall. The voices in his head. It wasn't the evil forces of Mornhaven. It was the voices of his ancestors. It was the voice of his spirit saying, you have to save the day. You have to be a dyer. You have to use magic. And so the magic which he's feared throughout this whole book uh, and what she's hated, he uses at the end to save the cousin he hates and basically gives up his life. He becomes one with a wall to save it. I like a bait and switch. It, it, reminds, it was good. It reminds me of um, one of my favourite examples of like where the character just doesn't go where you think it is. It's in like the first season of Stranger Things when Steve is set up just to be okay. like an arsehole bully. Yeah, And then the last exactly. minute he, he just kind of turns around and goes, I'm so sorry, I've been an arsehole. Here, let me help. Not quite the same with Pendrick, but I love the fact he's just like, you're incompetent, I fucking hate you. And the fact they just swaggers in is like, fuck it, I'm actually going to fix shit. I'm like, mm. good for you. Such a surprise, a huge surprise. I literally didn't, even, it was sort of, it was happened so suddenly. 
And so, like that, that I actually just didn't register that it had happened until after it happened. That's how, like, sudden and unexpected it was. Oh, me too. It wasn't until we, there's a really nice line about, um, they're asking, like, oh, is he dead? And they're like, oh, no, he just simply doesn't need his body anymore. Mm. He's alive in the wall. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow, that was a sacrifice. Good, Good for him, Pendrick. Yep. I'll read the next book for you, buddy. Thank you. Because I do want to know if it's good. Because I can see, I can feel the potential brimming away in this series. But this book, it didn't deliver. When I, my biggest praise of the first book is the speed Mm. it got going. Bit of a weird turn for the sequel. Well, the book does start fast and exciting. And that, that gave us too high expectations. Because the first part is a pretty cool, fun battle. And then it slows down. It's both too much and too little. It's less than the sum of its parts. It's also really fun to read and each section's good. I love many of the characters. Mm. It it both gave me too much but left me wanting a lot more. There you go, that's my final thesis statement on that. <sighs> Duncan, I think you've done a good job this episode. I think you've done an excellent job of keeping an open mind and you've articulated yourself well. Have a cookie. Oh, tasty. Thank you for getting me to read it, though, because I am still interested in reading more of this series. Um, maybe more so than after I read the first book, but I will stand by... Because of the world building. Yeah, but... It... The pins are in place now. It's time to get going, but things better, better get going. Well, all 12 of the people on the official Green Rider subreddit, which I went to for exactly 10 minutes, got a spoiler and then left. Um, I'm sure they're very excited to hear all about it. I'm happy for them. So, Geordie, who do you recommend this book to? Oh, I only recommend this book to people who have read Green Rider and enjoyed it, like, quite a lot. If you thought Green Rider was just okay, uh, don't read this book, because it's... I very much doubt you're going to read this book and say, this is what Green Rider should have been. This is for people who are like, Green Rider was the shit. I can't wait to read more of Kerrigan and see it the further adventures of Kerrigan Galavian because I think it's going to be instrumental to the next book, which I'm sure will be better. 6.5 out of 10. Completely agree. This is a book for people who read Green Rider and absolutely loved it. Yeah. So fans of his podcast... Everyone go out and check that episode and find out why you should read the first book. It's a good episode. It's a good book. Uh, dare I say, it's a good podcast. And to those 12 people on the official subreddit and anyone else who has read this series, please do free to write in and tell us your thoughts on it, on both this mm. book, how it compares to the original, and where the series goes. Please, no spoilers though. Um, and you can do no that spoilers. at podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram at fantasy podcast Mm, don't tell duncan about the aliens he doesn't need to know about them until they show up (laughs) oh if you turn out that's actually telling the truth i i think i will that that would be amazing (laughs) ho 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 what do you think this is red sister (laughs) i hope it doesn't turn into that right yeah go on ask me ask ask you what duncan i'm really looking forward to reading another book uh i haven't read a book in ages now like it's been a huge amount of time uh i already read berserk i didn't feel the need to reread it uh i didn't i read this over the summer 
I'm, I really need a new book, so please give me one. Geordie, so before f- finishing uh, the first rider, I was like, right, I was looking about, oh, maybe something a bit more epic, coming to the end of the year, something big, maybe like a Brandon Sanderson, some more, bit more political intrigue, that's good action, Oof. or then I was looking, oh, maybe, maybe we will touch on Wheel of Time or Magician, but Ugh. what I need is what I wanted to get out of this book and didn't quite get. I need an adventure. I need some heroes mm. going on a quest. Mm. You're going to love this book. I okay. promise you, you're going to love this book. And if you hate it, I've misjudged you as a person. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but this book is such fun. And it, that is the word for this book. This book is fun. Fun, 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 fun. Cool. It's a lot cool. of fun. What is it? We're going to read Kings of the Wild. Oh, all right. You know, I've, I've seen this on a bookshelf many times. Is this about the band? This is about the band. Okay, here we go. This is about a band of adventurers. Nay, this is about a band of retired adventurers. They had their D&D quest. They've all gone home. One's gone to his castle. One's gone to a runner's inn. And then one day, uh, the guy who's running his inn gets a knock at the door. And it's, it's, it's his old bandmate, his old D&D friend when they used to go questing. And he says to him, please help. My daughter's trapped at the ends of the earth past all the horrible monsters. And there's only one way we can save her. We have to get the band back together. We're on a mission from God. So it's the Blues Brothers. I haven't actually seen that film. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, Duncan. I have my homework, you have your homework. Let's go do it, mate. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I've seen the front cover of this a lot. Duncan fucking loves to bring up the book that he's going to make me read at the start of a book and then dramatically reveal that it was later. Uh, And now he can't do that anymore because I'm going to be on high alert. Every time he mentions a book in the first 10 minutes of his show, I'm going to be like, oh, that's the book I'm going to have to read. It's on the mind. Well, thank you Mm. everyone for coming Mm. to our book club this week. I hope you all enjoyed, and I look forward to seeing you all next time. See you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Also, Condor is not in this book nearly enough, and it actually really pissed me off.